evening and welcome to Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Jeff Young. Jeff, how are you doing? Bloody well right, my friend. Nice to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, dis- disclose, we had a little snafu at one point when we were doing this, so uh, <laughs> we are reliving it on, on, on some level. But I'm glad you're back. I'm glad we could talk. Um, Likewise. Let's, let's just jump in. So anybody who doesn't know, Jeff is on... Um, Played a Megadeth, uh, so far so good album, great album, great playing. He left the band, moved on to do a lot of other things. Do you want to kind of catch up to what he was doing after that? Because he did a lot with a lot of other musicians that were just super stellar. You know, and that's probably the best part to start. What do you think? Sure. Fire was, away. I'm at your service. At your service. Well, just here to help. <laughs> well, after you left Megadeth, you started to go a little different direction musically, kind of take a right turn. And then you kind of got more introduced to more artists as time expanded too. almost. Yeah. Well, I've always, I've always kind of uh, lived up to the mantra of my radio show music without boundaries. I've always loved every genre of music, maybe abstained from polkas. But aside from that, I tried to, you know, I love rock jazz blues i noticed after megadeth everyone was shredding and there was the mike varney shrapnel records movement and a lot of neoclassical players following in the footsteps of ingve and so i wanted to go you know you kind of look at the landscape of what's happening and try to figure out how to incorporate some kind of a left turn or give folks a surprise, maybe something that their ears aren't as familiar with. And even though it's a, an old style, one of the oldest, I actually went back and got a little more into blues and seeing how I could find an equilibrium between like the shred and classical and neoclassical elements and the flamenco stuff I was getting into. And with, the more vocal simplified uh, presentation of blues. So I was trying to like maybe walk that tightrope and bring a little bit more of that into my plane. Well, I think the other thing is, I mean, when you get to a point like, like where Megadeth and all the bands were at that point, once it's popular, something's that popular, to, to go on is, you know, to be an innovator, you got to kind of keep moving forward. By the time everyone's shredding, everyone's trying to be the next version of what you guys were already doing so at that point either you get stale or you gotta keep competing or you try something different and most bands have been able to take little turns or artists you know barring acdc and the ramones who could just do their thing and there was just no penalty but most artists needed to do some twists and turns yeah i mean even look at a fine american band like van halen how they deviated from their original blueprint, whether it was uh, because of a new singer or because Eddie wanted to explore a little more of his first instrument, which was keyboards. So, yeah, I always kind of subscribe to the notion that, I mean, and there's been so many great artists in every style and music's been evolving or devolving, probably both simultaneously. Uh, I came upon the notion that the best way to create new, fresh-sounding music 
was, you know, looking to some of the artists that I really got into, like Tommy Bolin, people in the 70s who were doing, there was a lot more fusion happening. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was rock jazz fusion. And you could say Randy Rhodes even did a little bit of classical and metal fusion with Ozzy. Uh, As I got into world music and realizing and discovering not only how diverse the musical styles are from culture to culture, but how similar there's, there's a, you know, a juxtaposition there. Uh, and some styles work very well together. You know, blues is, you can hear it in heavy metal, right? But you can also hear it in flamenco. I mean, honestly, flamenco is the blues of the gypsy people of, of their culture. You can hear it when the, when the gypsy singers sing, it's a very emotive and a lot of crying. You can feel the, you know, the emotion in their vocals. So as I evolved and you can kind of feel in Megadeth that I was getting into flamenco and, and gypsy guitar styles, because a lot of the scales I used in Megadeth were flamenco gypsy type scales and uh which lent itself over progressions that megadeth had when they would do like these half step progressions and that's a that's a good illustration take a song like set the world of fire off megadeth the end progression where i soloed which was a e to f you know half step almost like the jaws theme that's another good example right in flamenco that's a very popular albeit played on a nylon string acoustic instrument, not through a blazing Marshall stack or what have you. you. You see the similarity in the real difference in application is the type of instrument and the amplification. You can see how the, the scales and the musical styles really uh, come come from the same essence. And that's, probably surprising to people saying Megadeth and flamenco because it seems worlds apart. Right. But I think as you discover different styles of music, that's what we discover, not how different we are as people and not how different the styles are. And you, you know, there are a lot of kids and younger music fans get into battles in this genre and that, and my music, your music or my band, your band you really realize how similar people are, how similar music styles are. There's a Brazilian rhythm I learned when I was uh, traveling in the Northeast, like Salvador, Bahia region of Brazil. The rhythm is called cavaclinho, and it's performed on traditional instruments. Cueca is one instrument that sounds kind of like a a seal goes, woo, woo, woo. It's, it's a strange instrument, but really cool when you hear it in Brazilian music. And a pandeiro, which is like a deeper tambourine uh, that in Brazil they've really evolved where they play it like a drum set, where they can make the, this tambourine. You're yeah. like, wow, it sounds like an entire drum set. But as they were introducing me to this rhythm, I noticed right off, although it's played on folk instruments, there's no amplifiers in sight that it's a galloping rhythm like run to the hills by iron maiden so you <laughs> see you, you see what i'm saying yeah and you know taking from flamenco to brazilian to american music and you see 
again, not how different people are, not how different music is, but how similar it is. And by taking different, perhaps the rhythms are different. Like in flamenco, a popular rhythm would be 916, where a lot of American Western songs are in 4-4 or 3-4. So by taking just these little essences, maybe a time signature, maybe a certain scale, you know, I think that's where new music can come from. It's kind of like a musical jambalaya, right? Or enchilada, depending on your ethnic food preference. It's, it is. I've always been a big fan of everything. And that's what I try to do, even on the show. Well, actually, maybe just think about that. One of the things that you, you said with, the, with Megadeth is, if you think about it, I mean, you, your style, Chris's style, and then Marty, really not overall metal there's jazz a lot of other stuff outside of metal it, did you feel there's something maybe actually something with the megadeth early riffs played into being able to do like the jazz like all you guys were very different later on he's gotten to more of a thrashier more of a straight ahead guitar players that are good but the three of you guys really yeah i think that the blueprint was established with chris and gar yeah. who were both huge jazz aficionados they loved mahavishnu they loved uh, jan hammer alan holsworth jeff beck all these kind of you know fusiony players and uh you can feel on killing and peace cells how much of that jazz fusiony influence made its way you know into megadeth sound and when they left you can hear that there's less jazz influence on so far so good so what right it's a little more thrashy punky right um and i came in very late in the game with only two weeks left in the recording process for the megadeth album so you know i wasn't shaping the songwriting or arrangements or like the flavors of the progressions you know i had to play into the progressions that were already recorded right and either compose something like hook and mouth that was kind of like a flight of the bumblebee kind of russian jig sounding thing with a, a pitch harmonizer on it or you know something like uh mary jane that's more gypsy sounding and again that so and more improvised so it and it just depended how much time i had because with two weeks left to record and they're just giving you a new tape every day you know it doesn't give you a lot of time because i never rehearsed with the band and i wasn't hearing vocals i was just hearing like the rhythm tracks drums bass and here's your solo spot start here stop there right now go right well i think that's what it is all my favorite early albums, Megadeth albums were like you three guys pretty much. Cause, and the other ones are great guitar players, but there's something different. And, you know, I mean, you see the early albums for anybody, you always say everybody's favorites. I don't always subscribe to that, but for this gathering, I'm like, it does because it's so different. All you guys added. Cause like I'm, I'm referring to some of your live footage too. When you play, you- there was a three window thing with Megadeth, you know, peace cells so far, so good. So what and rust and peace. Yeah. That was like their, their diamond trilogy. It was. Uh, and and Marty likewise, you know, both of us, all three of us liked more exotic scales, Chris, myself. And it's interesting, the path that we all took after Megadeth, you know, and it was organic, I think, for each of us. Uh, you know, Chris went, 
more jazz fusiony, very much like a, you know, Alan Holsworth kind of tri- power trio uh, instrumental with his band Ohm, a great band. And of course, I went more kind of world music, flamenco Brazilian, and Marty moved to Japan and went J-pop and you a know, pop star. Yeah, and even think of artists. For example, Alex Skolnick from Testament, who was my tour mate, and we always would geek out at soundcheck and uh, talk guitar, uh, nerd mania, till all, all hours of the morning, noon or night. He ended up going, much like Chris, more jazz, went to Berkeley and studied, and then came up even did an album where he was fusing styles with, you know, kind of, he did Detroit Rock City, but with a jazz interpretation. Yeah. So that's another great example of, you know, how new music and new fresh sounds can come from all these existing styles if you're creative and, you know, you pick and choose the things that speak to you, you know, and that's the cool thing is each person is different and unique. So your music, as long as you're being organic and not trying to copy a certain band or a certain trend, And as long as you're drawing from an amalgamation of your influences, you know, each person's music is going to be as unique as their thumbprint, right? It is. And it's, you are right. It's funny, those trilogy of albums. So you, let's talk about you. So afterwards, your your world tour of music, you learned a lot. You're on the road, Europe, you learn, you kind of got a whole metal scene. You got expanded on some other fantastic players that arguably could be even more talented than a lot of players you experienced. Yeah, I mean, it, it started probably after, in a circle around to what you were talking about, uh, yeah. my yeah. sound kind of after Megadeth, through a lawyer that was shopping a demo tape that I had done, uh, we ended up in the lap of Diamond Dave Management, which was Pete Angelus and Patrick Whitley, who came from the Van Halen camp with Roth, and Pete directed the Just a Gigolo and California Girls, and uh, they also broke the Black Crows, and I was kind of in the middle. They had Roth only; he was their only artist, and they signed me. Is there, and then they signed the Black Crows. And there was a point uh, where one night I was hanging at my apartment. My actually members of my band were there in my living room, and the phone rang, and it was Pete Angelus, and he said, "You know, David would like you to come over to his house in Pasadena." And I know Steve Vai had just left the band and, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to talk to me about being the next guitarist in the David Lee Roth band. And oddly enough, I had a, it was like a, a crawl, you know, across your TV screen and just like, you know, I I thought about his voice live, right. And my band's like right there. And I was trying to be loyal, I guess. And, I had this vision that he was going to end up in Vegas. And at that time, Vegas wasn't, it hadn't come into its own as, you know, this entertainment capital. It was kind of where old stars went to die. Right. So I passed on it. Uh, Much to my chagrin here and there years later, as I went back and forth with myself. And of course, Jason Becker ended up getting the, uh, the gig and he was my buddy. We were just, becoming friends and he was such a sweet uh kind person and he reminded me kind of like of a randy rhodes or myself someone that wasn't about sex drugs and rock and roll 
it was more about just practice your guitar be cool and then rock and roll right and when when he got the gig it it came across my radar through the management that you know his style was very much in that shrapnel records shreddy you know cacophony style of music that he did with marty friedman and he didn't really play blues that wasn't his forte and roth of course his vocal style is he's like a modern day louis armstrong kind of bluesy crooner right so they sent him to a guitarist named steve hunter whose name may escape a lot of people although everybody's heard the opening train kept a rolling guitar lick on aerosmith get your wings and even myself as i was skipping school (laughs) and my parents at work you know slowing down the turntable and get your wings to get every lick of that solo as i was bowing and worshiping brad whitford and joe perry it wasn't until many many years later did i realize that it wasn't either of those gents that played those solos on that remake of the yardbirds train kept rolling that is none other than steve hunter on the first half the halftime and dick wagner his partner they were like twin steve lukather's of the 70s they played on so many records from alice cooper welcome to my nightmare and i love goes to hell oddly enough they called their band the hollywood vampires on that album on goes to hell if you look at the back which alice brought back to life that band name many years later as we know uh steve played on uh some of lou reed's most classic stuff sweet jane you know all that live stuff that we heard uh was steve on guitar of course peter gabriel salisbury hill the beautiful 12 string guitar all that was steve he started in detroit with mitch Ryder and the detroit wheels and just a great player who's uh who ended up becoming best friends with jason and he played on a little ain't enough the david lee roth album as rhythm guitar player with jason and co-wrote and the reason i tell this story is because the second i heard that jason was studying with steve hunter i'm calling up pete angel saying i want to study with steve hunter and before you knew it before you could say get your wings i was up the hill up in the hollywood hills studying with steve and i walked in you know i know i was always in the blue i love johnny winter i happened to see an amazing festival show with him in sarasota florida where he just floored me i mean he came out like he's you know his look and he's albino in the sun it was like a mole coming out of the ground right and they put that little guitar on that little steinberger that he was playing i never saw anyone playing like even if and it sounded like he may be going into a territory where there may be a wrong note he would bend it in or make the melody just whipping i never saw anything like it so i went in there very much you know johnny winter you know stevie ray vaughn more modern blues players steve said hold on a minute and he pulled out albert king all uh, years gone by and he put on that first song and dropped the needle on that and you know one of the reasons i play a v you know isn't just because of michael shanker but uh and i'm a huge ufo aficionado but you know albert king that whole sound just turned my head around 
and he was playing the guitar strung backwards, you know, with the, the low string to the floor and the high string. You know I mean, I know the V has always been the, the original blues guitar. Yeah. But so, I didn't know the stringing was different. What an amazing revelation. So he took me back before, because these are all the people that, I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan ended up doing that album with Albert King. It was Stevie Ray Vaughan and Albert King. So you see them together, right? And how the the vintage blues and the modern blues collided. But it was great for Steve to take me back. And I still have his cassette tapes in, in my little, I have a cas, uh, cassette uh, binder. And along with all my Chris Poland solos on half speed that I went down to Capitol Records and I took everything off but Chris's rhythms and soloed those at full speed and half speed and all his solos at full speed and half speed. And that's how I figured everything out by ear. Right in there's all my Steve Hunter lessons, my Frank Gambale, my Tony McAlpine lesson that I was blessed to have with an, another great musician uh, that came across my path. And I think, again, as guitar players, we're an amalgamation of the people we listen to on vinyl or digital now or radio or MTV and the, the teachers that we meet in our real life. You know, be that your first guitar teacher, you know, the teachers I met at GIT from Frank Gambale to Scott Henderson to Dwayne Deo and Tommy Tedesco, Don Mock. I mean, just some crazy, crazy players to the flamenco players and the Assad brothers. You mentioned some of the yeah, I want great to teachers. Yeah. Are you played? And you take a little bit from each, each person. If you, you know, if you use your noodle and you remember every, great brilliant thing that that you saw or absorbed or were exposed to from all these amazing artists and that becomes your music you know your expression your language well i think also you can be exposed or influenced by it and not sound like them the excitement the inspiration of the creation the creative process and how they took something and created it that way you could see that process and not create that sound but the same thing was inspiration which can be just as big you know um i do want to say i think for the david roth thing there's no regrets there for you totally dodged a bullet on that one i'm thinking <laughs> well know? you know what and not even in hindsight i went back and forth over the years and it, to be honest it wasn't till recently and i had seen the movie before but for some reason it, it hit me this time uh, Dinah and I showed her uh, Jason Becker's the documentary Not Dead yeah. Yet. And as I was watching that, it just hit me that if I would have taken that gig, he would have never got that gig. And that one chance that he had to do something, I'm getting chills, starting to talk about it, get a little misty-eyed, but that one chance that he had, and I did, I was watching the Not Dead yet movie and i started like tearing up thinking yeah that was supposed to be his gig everything worked out is exactly as it should have and he got that chance to make that beautiful album and leave that you know that history and work with steve and and all the great players on that album so that helped me kind of come to terms with with that along yeah. with the fact that i just played the eddie van halen tribute and one of the guys who just did the vegas residency yeah. told me cat's a lunatic man yeah well it's, it's himself in the face in rehearsals and stuff i was like 
I couldn't believe what I was hearing sitting on the stage at the whiskey as this kid was telling me his experience working with Roth in Vegas. And I was like, but then he said, he, maybe that's why he's that person I that can get up there and do what he yes, did. Everybody, all everybody deals with their, they're different. I think who he was and you've watched him evolve over the years and the, the artists that, you know, Eddie and, and Dave met, you know, it was a good bridge for a while, but it wasn't meant to last. You know, they were yeah, so yeah, different, yeah. so different. And that's why it worked for a while. Yeah, and a lot of people were down on Sammy, and Roth had his swagger and his stage presence, and in his youth, he was very cool and a lot more uh, macho than he he comes off nowadays. Yeah, but once the heat adjusted, but Hager's voice, man, when he came in, I mean, you listen to Sammy Hager on Rock the Nation or Space Station Number Five when he was what held nineteen in Montrose, because I I'm a huge Montrose freak as well, and. To, to have a guitarist like Eddie, and Roth always said he tried to match on vocals and how he was to keep up with what Eddie did, you know, on guitar. And you can see now, if you think about that, his shrieks and how he was, he, wa- he was trying to do that. But when you bring, he just didn't have the range and that kind of voice like Sammy Hager was just, you're I born with. I think he could sing it two, two, at the same time, like to do two things, a split. Oh, Roth? Yeah, yeah, like, he oh, yeah. does that. It's incredible when a singer can do that. Yeah, yeah Roth had that thing where he could split early. his vocal cords. Yeah, so he on. had his own unique charms, and he was great for that. But then you bring Sammy Hagron, who has that natural rasp and the range, to sing a song like Dreams. I don't that's, know if people get yeah, how rangy how high that, is. that chorus when he's singing. That's rangy. You know, that's I was a happy. beautiful melody. And so I love both eras and, yep. and, you know, I love every, everything about Van Halen, except maybe Van Halen three. Yeah. Well, that was a different era for everybody, but Roth would have had maybe one or two good albums. I think in him left with Van Halen, if they didn't break up before his voice just went, yeah, yeah, yeah. went crazy. You know what I mean? Whereas Sammy was just getting better. Sammy's voice still is like leather still. And I'll, so put a vo- I'll put it, yeah, with Chicken Foot and The Circle with my even buddy just, Michael. So amazing. The, the I'll say with, with Roth, I'll have to go with Fair Warning as the album of, of their era. And with Sammy, I have to go with Balance. I think that's oh. such a super underrated record. So good. Production, songwriting. Pop. Yeah, you're right. That is a good one. They're, I mean, they're all good. I love them all. I, I have to think really think about what my, my, my Van Halen would be. It goes back and forth. My first Van Halen album was Diver Down, actually. That was your first one you ever got? Yeah, I, was, I got in cassette. And you hear Hang Em High, just that the second, no matter how many Van Halen songs you'd heard and how great we knew he was by then and how many hours we sat in front of our turntable slowing the record down to 16 to try to figure out what he was doing. Still, when he came out with that, all those licks on that album from Cathedral to the riff at yeah, Hang the em High, ball, Secrets, the, the beautiful... Everything, everything he did was so insane. tone on Secrets, wow. Right, and that, I think to me, that was great because I, so, I knew the popular Van Halen songs, but when I owned an album, that being the first one, really, I was always open for what he did. So like when Sammy came in and he did more keyboards, like I was so... Oh, my first album being Diver Down, it was probably their most wide range musically for him. So I was open... Yeah, even what he album. did on Dancing in the Streets, yeah. that whole trippy oh, synth yeah. thing was... But, that's why when when they came out with a fifty one fifty, I was like, "All right, I'm on board. It's all good." Yeah, I'm messing around. Same here. And people should be more like that. I mean, for me, art—it's like you go to a museum. Yeah, like you take your lovely lady to a museum on the weekend, 
and you're walking through and you're not criticizing every painting and cutting this artist down or this sculptor or whatever. You just, the things that, you know, draw you in, you go and you stand in front of that painting and you absorb it and you appreciate it and you let it heal you or touch you and then you move on. And I think people should be a little more like that about music, a little less judgmental and a little bit more like just take take all that you love. There's plenty of music out there, you know. Those, there's like the whole Megadeth van, uh, Metallica feud that this these kind of feuds or this genre that genre when even when you know metal artists do something softer you know and the metal dudes it's got to be metal or die right you know I think it changed I mean, when we were younger that's what it was like and, and nowadays it feels like just that metal community is a lot more forgiving and and but now it's the screamo people they can't stand or like the, the, the clean thrash. Now it's, now it's divided that way. Now it's like, they can't take the really heavy. And as we grow, we like, I mean, I, I like Steely Dan and I always did, but as I grew, I grew to love them and adore them as yep. one of my favorite bands and one of the bands I listen to the most. I mean, there's so many great musicians besides the two creative visionaries of that band. Someone else I loathed in my childhood, whenever a Van Morrison tune would come on, I'd be just like, I couldn't get to the dial quick enough to turn it off, right? Now I love, you know, like Into the Mystic and some of these, like maybe not Brown Eyed Girl, maybe I'd still, that's like the cover band, like bands, you know, when people come request that, we'll do any song, but... No free bird, no brown eyed girl, right? No jump by Van Halen. Like, yeah, I jump. think as we we grow, we we be, begin to widen, and that was the cool thing. And I was lucky, maybe because I played viola and sax, you know, through you know elementary, junior high, and high school. That I was always more open to different styles of music, and like when Randy Rhodes came out, and I heard D. I didn't need to hear any more than that. And I'd already heard Spanish fly. And even though I was, you know, stuck there in Kettering, Ohio, I found the best classical guitar teacher in town and started having me, you know, showing me that technique so that I could, you know, a do stuff like I heard Randy doing on. And then he came out with diary with all these different classical motifs. Right. Yeah. I wanted to be able to do that on, you know, acoustic guitar and bring it onto electric. So, yeah, I mean, we're just talking about having an open mind to music and, and kind of how, what we were talking about before, the more styles that you're into, the more you can draw into your, to your creative uh, output. Like think of Van Halen, since we're on the subject, how many styles that he incorporated from swing like I'm the one that's swing. I mean, you could like have a big band playing an arrangement of that tune, right? You know, to you're no good where they took a Linda Ronstadt tune that they barely even listened to the 45. Like they weren't even sure exactly how it went and it just kind of like what they remember hearing it on the radio. All those different stuff. He brought flamenco in with Spanish Fly, right? He brought blues in, like Little Dreamer is a great blues tune. I mean, the pop was there, the jazz was there on stuff like Secrets, drawing from every style. That's your palette. He's a he's just like a painter 
and he's picking his colors appropriately for the song. And no Van Halen album came out. I mean, maybe when people heard Jump, some of the people were disappointed, but I, I don't remember too many people ever being that disappointed with all these different yeah. influences. And Zeppelin, <laughs> look at what Zeppelin did. They were the first world music fusion band. Kashmir, for crying out loud, with all the Eastern influences. You know, their Celtic influences that they had in like Battle of Evermore and these type of songs. They oh, they started out as a heavy hard rock blues band, but you saw very quickly, you know, and you think, is it because they're touring the world and they're playing all these different places and they're being exposed to all these cultures as they travel on tour? Is that why they're bringing all these styles? Is that how they're discovering all these styles? Open as musicians, too, because you just very open as a person. Imagine some of the bands have toured the world and haven't changed your sound, and they're probably mm-hmm. still not eating the culture of food. They're probably yeah. still going out to McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? They're probably just still doing that little thing, and the music's the same. It's probably says a lot about the person, too. Yeah. I mean, look at Robert Plant nowadays. He's still doing something different. You know, the stuff he's doing with Miss Krause. I mean, he's all over the all over the map. And that's great. And that's to me, you know, and Jimmy Page said it best. What we're talking about at the end of the day, it's light and shade. You know, music and life, our life should have that. Right. Music should have that. And the best music, if you think from, you know, Jeff Buckley to any of the artists we've talked about, to Chris Whitley, to. Nina Simone, Billie Holiday, just keep going. I mean, they all had light and shade. You know, those elements always balancing their equilibrium in everything they did. And it's influenced you. So actually, so after you're playing, you took a break from music and you went home and did some family stuff, but you missed music. You came back. So we're kind of where you currently now. Some of the music you're doing, I know we're talking about some of your guitar lessons. Let's kind of get current. What can people experience? And that, and that actually happened twice, like right on the heels of Megadeth. My father got cancer and passed, so I had I went back to the family business to be the good son and help my mom. And I went to Wharton and uh, remember the Van Halen song "Sucker in a Three Piece." Yep. I became that guy for a while but it, it was calling me and i even in dayton while i was working in the business i started i was getting into the brazilian flamenco and playing in an acoustic band with one of my drafting guys at the company was a drummer and one thing led to he knew a singer and they knew a bass player and we're playing around in the dayton clubs just having fun and i decided i was going to do my own album world music like flamenco and brazilian and all these different influences and i ordered a classical guitar through a maker that i read about in acoustic guitar magazine never had played this guitar um but his logic made so much sense it had an elevated fretboard uh i mean sorry that my dobra is loud and metal but instead of the fretboard being flat like this it was more like a harp uh, angled like this and more wood so you could get up here even if it didn't have a cutaway people could google it it's called the thomas humphrey millennium the thomas humphrey millennium guitar and actually it became a signature model for martin it was the sting signature model for a while um, and the bracing the way he braced the top it just made so much sense that 
I found his number and called him and ordered this guitar sight unseen. And we, it took a year to make him and his wife, his wife was Brazilian. He lived in New York and they made every guitar by hand. And over that time, I was getting more into Brazilian music and he was telling me about Brazilian artists that he worked with. And I discovered that he worked with the Assad brothers, Sergio Nodaio Asadji. And I ended up meeting the younger sister and we co-wrote and I produced her album for Verve, Polygram Records, uh, which is called Chameleon. And it went to number one all over Europe and we got to tour the world. Unfortunately, in America, it was a little bit douse because uh, there was a big buyout at Polygram. Seagram's Whiskey came in and bought Polygram Records and Universal Motion Pictures. Like right as our album was released and 3,000 people in America lost their jobs. It was a whole shakeup for the label, for Polygram, A&M, Island Records, and you know a lot of artists under that umbrella, not just us. So people in America kind of maybe missed that album and the project that I did. But we got to tour the rest of the world, and it was a glorious experience opening for, you know, like Joe Cocker and uh, in a roundabout in the center of a German town where they set up a stage or opening for Cassandra Wilson in Hamburg, Germany, just a beautiful jazz singer uh, or opening for uh, Caetano Veloso, who's a Brazilian. He's like the grandfather. The reason you see... uh David Byrne from Talking Heads moving the way he does and his love for world music. He has a world music label, as a matter of fact, called Lou Akabov. He's so influenced by this Brazilian singer that we were fortunate enough to open for in Italy. So that was an amazing experience. And when I uh, get questions from fans, what, what was it like to play with Dave Mustaine? Or was he as big of an a-hole as he see? That's probably the number one question I get. I, I always ask myself, I can't believe they're asking me about that when I sat at the feet of these two, the greatest classical guitar duo in history. I think it's um, lesser known. I'll send too. you this video I, that I owe you, and uh, you could maybe put it in the chat for people. Because I, I ended up just being able to hang around these brothers at Thanksgivings and Christmases and watch them rehearse and take a lesson from them or just ask pointers. And when you're around a family like that, they're like the Jackson five of Brazil, this family, but with guitars. So when you're around that and you just soak it up, it becomes something that as again, it's just like talking. You're not thinking about it. You're not getting up on stage, trying to impress somebody or, you know, for getting better, sex, drugs and rock and roll for money or fame or any of these things. It's a very, and that was what was cool about living in Brazil for the four years is I got to see a very different culture where there's a nylon string guitar in every household. By the end of every party, it's a broke down to a jam session with whoever can play. That was very different for me than American parties where by the end, everyone's just ripped and right. drunk off their ass and talking about sports, right? So that was an amazing amazing thing and it, it gives you a different vantage on how you look at music and musicians and i think it becomes more natural i think when if people check out this video the brothers if you can leave it in the chat 
those you you've never heard two players play together like this i mean and one's because they're blood and they've been playing together since they were like young children all the way up you know and that that's an amazing thing to see and here also like when you hear uh, brothers or sisters who are sing together and yeah. harmonize and their vocal cords it's just like there's nothing like that even eddie and alex playing together it's huh? that brotherly thing of having that many hours because most bands when they rehearse they go to rehearsal an hour a day even if they're rehearsing seven or a couple hours a day or a few hours a week two three times a week if that you know when you're in this kind of relationship you're playing together anytime you feel like it all day you know so that that was an amazing experience to be around it it really informed my plan and changed the whole my approach to how i look at music and I was able to bring that back into rock, you know, and even though I went away from, you know, playing through an amp, I didn't own an amp. I sold all my electric guitars and only played finger style or like uh, steel strings for over a decade. You know, once I came back to electric, I was able to bring all those influences. And again, the things that you learn and you see how, wow, even though I did that on an acoustic guitar, I could do it on an electric guitar. You got rid of all your electric guitars. That's crazy. Pardon? That's, that's, that's so extreme to get rid of all of your electric. Now I like, keep like one or two. No, I sold all. Wow. That's everyone crazy. always asks me, do you have the guitars from your Megadeth era, the Tom Anderson guitars that I played? I'm actually going to meet with him Tuesday about maybe making me a guitar. People want to, they want a JY signature model. Oh. And, uh, circumstances may uh may be panning out that there might be a good reason to have one of those later in this year early next year with a top secret super group project that i'm working on you wanted to know what i'm doing now and i'll kind of fill in the two spaces from the brazilian to right now i'm super excited and you know what it is and you know why we can't really say right now I absolutely and do the real reason we want it to just come out we don't want a lot of time and people talking about no. the musician. Do, do it. No talking. Just do it. A lot of drama created in the press about the the pairing, the collaboration. But I think we, it's safe to say Megadeth fans are going to be pretty stoked. And I, I'm in a group with uh, three gentlemen that all come from a very fine pedigree in each of their own rights. And I'm really stoked with, we've already, uh, and we, some of us live in other States. Three of us are out here in LA. One of us in Arizona. And, and, um, he's been in once we've been working long distance, the drummer and I, and then he came in, we've had a rehearsal. We finished writing. I came in with two songs, uh, that were, like half song ideas, like a few progressions, but not the whole song. Cause you always want to let the other people put in their ideas. You don't want to, here's the whole song. Just play this the way I tell you to play it. So I came in with a few riffs and a few up my sleeve. And in one rehearsal, we finished two songs and demoed them and they're, they're scratched out. And then this Thursday we have our second back in from Arizona is my, uh, my buddy. And we're going to be rehearsing and recording, a song that he's come up with so that'll be our third song and we're we're talking about a really cool cover that we're going to do from the 70s that i think is very timely i think people are going to like that so that's 
slated to come out, I think, later this year, early next, just depending on how everything falls. And uh, my better half and I, Dinah Shirasaki, who some folks may know and love from her all-female ACDC tribute group, Thund Her Struck. They've been around for a couple decades at least and played all over from here to, you know, Desert Storm and, and back and uh, opening for Journey and Foreigner and they've gotten around. I, I just recently got to see them own the day opening for Cheap Trick, Don Felder and Grand Funk Railroad. And it was quite a thing to see at the Moondance Festival. Uh, video evidence of that on I can send you for the chat. Oh, yes, and, so. uh, my okay. radio show YouTube. So we have a, a little duo. We've been playing around Los Angeles. That's our duo is called Tenifer Jen. Just uh, hello, people. Tenniferjen dot com. T e n i f e r j i n n. Really quickly, because you asked me about the name. Yeah, Tenifer is the hardening process for metal which right and jen are like they're like lesser angels that are here to like inspire us they can be a little mischievous like maybe spurn you on to like dance or listen to good music or maybe think about how we treat each other whatever so tenniferjen.com that's our new thing and we have a brand new single coming out that starts uh Starts out on this very different than Megadeth and talking about fusing influences. And I know you, I know from our personal talks, you love the Dobro. Absolutely. Uh, the, the song starts out, the song's called Gypsy Soul, and it starts out on Dobro and open G tuning. And by the time the song gets into the chorus, it's getting pretty funky and, and, uh, heavy. If you could imagine maybe like, Chris Whitley meets Fleetwood Mac meets ACDC meets the Ohio players. I think that's a pretty safe assessment of the tune. If you like any, like if you like any of that jive or like lip bands, like living color, I think you'll, you'll like this single we have coming up real, real soon here. It's actually on the mixing board in Germany uh, with a great up, and coming uh, mixologist, we'll call him, and uh, I'm real excited for people to hear it. We've actually, we've been sitting on the mix, the first mix for about a year, and some people have heard the song, but we were being really picky about it, and we were like, we this is bugging us, and that's bugging us, so it took us a while to find the right guy to mix it, yeah. and uh, I guess underscoring the sentiment that Rome wasn't built in a day, you know, and uh, all good things take time, right? So we've been working on ours. So we're, we're working on that and on a less vocal uh, path. I, I've been quietly releasing track by track my instrumental album, uh, which is going to be called Revolutions. You know, you say you want revolutions. Pretty timely right now. We need a revolution of some kind. But I've released on my band camp three singles. I'm just releasing one song at a time, kind of as time and money afford me to finish. And the musicians that I love to have play on my instrumental stuff, you know, I have to work around their schedules. 
I've released a single monsoon that's uh, real gypsy fused hard rock with cello provided by the dynamic and alluring Tina Guo, who's played on a ton of Hollywood movies and a lot of the video games you guys play. Call of Duty, I don't know all these games, but just an amazing cellist with an amazing story. And she played both acoustic cello and she puts her cello through an ingle stack, like a guitar amp, big stack. So you hear both cellos, the dynamics of both throughout. On bass, Rick Firabachi, who up and coming bass player who's played with a few little known artists like uh, Chick Korea and Shakira and Billy Cobham and Blood, Sweat and Tears, Tom Jones. He gets around. He's an amazing bass player. I've been really, really blessed on the bass player front. So I'm really spoiled with bass players. Um, and on drums, Brian Titchy. Um, who's you know everybody knows and loves Brian from White Snake and Billy Idol and all his projects that he's done over the years. He's in Dead Daisies, I think, right now with Glenn Hughes and Doug Aldridge. So that was my first instrumental single. If you want to check that out, the link is jeffyoungsongs.com is my band camp. You can hear the whole jam for free, and if you want to buy it, you can do that. And we indie musicians love that. I next released a song, and I was. I was happy during the scamdemic and the whole lockdown thing. I was able to release three singles. Wow. They're good. And I mean, I like that totally self-financed and, you know, musicians during that time, not necessarily rolling in the dough, raking in the dough. Yeah. But I, I did put out uh, a, a cover. People can see a remake. I, I guess it's more than a cover of the Beatles because it's instrumental. Uh, the George Harrison song something which people can see on my YouTube seeing here then I released uh, the second single from revolutions which is called in the flesh and Rick Fierbachi's back on bass and I have joining me on drums an amazing drummer from Las Vegas named Jeff Totora think John Bonham meets Terry Bozio and he's been in blue man group since the inception He's not one of the blue face guys. He's up in the, yeah. And, but he's traveled the world with that production and he's back in Vegas with that. And just an amazing, amazing drummer. Uh, you can see us actually on my YouTube channel recording the rhythm and drum track for that song. The video's there and we did it in one take and you see the take and that take that's on my YouTube. We took to the next level. I sent it to Rick. He put the bass on, and it's just a trio track, just myself on guitars and Jeff and Rick. Kind of surfy, hard rocking, uh, with a cool kind of delay thing. Ronnie Montrose did this delay on when he was in Gamma, on the first Gamma album. There's a song called Razor King, where he had the coolest uh, delay. And I figured out that pattern, and I came up with a melody that had that repeating delay pattern. So that's in the flesh. That's on my YouTube and Bandcamp, whether you want to hear or, or hear and see. And then my latest single is pretty cool and different, and each of the singles sound different. The new one's kind of a psychedelic, bluesy, hard rock excursion and drop detuning 
and joining me on that is James Lomenzo on bass uh, from White Lion, of course, Megadeth many years more than I, and he's out with them right now. Folks didn't know he was touring with John Fogarty for a while, which I thought was pretty cool. And James plays a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful bass performance on this new single, Mind Slow Burn. I mean, I think it's one of his, because it's just, it has a lot of room and it really lets him express and emote. And I think he was going through some stuff at a time. He just plays beautifully on the track. Jeff Bowder's joining me on drums, who's played with Satriani, Paul Gilbert. Few guys that can play guitar. Shakira, he's also played with Shakira. Um, and I love pedal steel and I never knew how fortunate I was going to be when I enlisted a, a lovely lady by the name of Andrea Witt. Yeah. Who I met through one of my guitar students when I was teaching at Guitar Institute of Technology, Musicians Institute. When he graduated, you know, a lot of students end up in bands and they do th different th things and right. some go somewhere and others don't. But he was in this band and they had a fiddle player. And I always noticed because I played viola in first grade and I always like a good fiddle or cello. And I kept kind of kept her on my radar and she ended up playing with Shania Twain throughout her Vegas residency. And just because she needed to picked up pedal steel guitar and be, is like a virtuoso on it, like a savant, like maybe the uh, something about her viola playing lends itself. She, she's using reverbs and delays and it's, you've heard the track, it's kind of psychedelic and the way she plays pedal steel on this track is not how you, it, it's not Nashville, right? Although, it honors that and it's got that to it i think people are going to be really knocked out by her performance on this track and uh myself on guitar and i i never played a wah-wah pedal before and i got to do a little bit of that on on this this song and yeah it just turned out really cool so i hope people check out my band camp jeffyoungsongs.com and that's all the news that's fit to print right now I'm getting into sound, doing some soundtrack work. I think that's very interesting. And when people hear my instrumental stuff, they usually say, why aren't you doing soundtrack work or TV stuff? And I've heard that enough times that I got a few friends out here now that are in that game. And I'm like, can you kind of help plug me into this? So we'll see what happens there. Well, really when end on, I know you talk about guitar, you live and eat it and breathe it. But you also teach it. Say again? You, you teach guitar also. Oh, yeah. Still, right? I've been known to. That's well, kind of how I got the Megadeth gig. I was teaching. Well, that's what I'm saying. So for people that are out there, yeah. you, know, you see kind of students still? Oh, yeah, yeah. I do online lessons. Uh, great rates. And I love teaching folks. I taught at GIT and... To be honest, teaching online, especially since the whole past couple of years, I mean, you can still get your guitar right up in the camera, show the left hand. Maybe you can get closer vantage than you'd be comfortable in person, right? Yeah. Like maybe if I was yeah. getting that close with my hands, you might be violating your space. But I have students from all over the world, you know, UK, Japan, and I have some again because of the teachers that i've been exposed to 
some really, I, th I think get any guitarist would benefit no matter what level from a couple of the, the key lessons that I offer early on. I've got one lesson that I, I like to get my students on as soon as possible. That's more of like a rhythm guitar, more of a chordal approach because there's a, unending amount of chords in the world and it seems mind-boggling to a beginning student especially when they start hearing jazz players just whiffing chords left and right with such fluency every chord on planet earth that's ever been played every pop chord major minor chord comes from a three-note triad that i call like the mommy if it's like a family tree and i, I call that the mommy chord or triad and every jazz or like kind of strange altered chord as we call it comes from a four note cluster which i'd call like the the father right and once you understand what those two shapes are in one lesson i can teach any student how to play every chord on the planet of course they got to go get the muscle memory and memorize and put it into application but i can show you the theory that seems to elude it eluded me for decades and decades of music, you know, on various instruments. And it wasn't until maybe a decade ago that I really began to understand how chords are made and how easily it can be explained. Uh, that be so for like newer that's a lesson are. that I love and my students seem to love that one. And then I have another lesson that's kind of the other side of the coin or the you know, the companion lesson, which would be more lead guitar oriented. And even if you came in only knowing do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, a major scale and not much theory. And I think one of the uh, things that dogs guitar players and one of the questions I get from new students is I can't improvise. I can't jam with other people. I feel uncomfortable playing over chord changes. I can teach you how to do that in one lesson. Again, you got to go practice it and work with jam tapes, but the theory of how to do it, I can put it on an index card that you keep on your music stand or in your guitar case till you memorize it. And all you need to ask your sick ass jazz friends that you're about to sit down with and you're trembling when you got to improv with them, what's the key center? As long as you know that, you know, I can show you how to move that major scale and the other patterns that accordion or escalator right next to that on the neck and help you play not just this way, but this way, right? Because we have an XY axis on guitar, not like piano that only goes left to right. We can, you know, that's a unique thing about guitar. So I think those two lessons would benefit almost anybody i mean i got guys coming i've been playing for 30 years i've been playing for 40 years and you, you easily see these holes in their in their knowledge their theory and their technique and this is one that i can immediately go in right away in two lessons and then you're it, it will change your whole uh philosophy of music and also composition when i learned this rhythm guitar how to make any chord from the two parent chords the first riff i wrote was the opening to monsoon and you can hear just from that that basic little intro that i did 
and just moving the fingers around, right? Hoping the guitar's in tune, right? Right? Just from those beginning chords, you can hear as the song goes on how I took, and that's Michael Hedges, maybe something to close on. Any monkey could come up with a chord progression, right? The genius is where you take, like, just that simple little thing that I was playing, right? Where you take that and how you blow it out throughout a, a composition. And so that was literally the first thing that I wrote after discovering this approach. And you hear the song, what can be created from just one new idea or one new lesson that you learned, you know? You, you'll teach all, all levels, right, too? Say again? You'll teach all the levels, right? There's no... Like yeah, you want and that's another thing. I think a lot of people, and I get, like, like, after the fact, like, yeah. they'll... I've been meaning to take lessons from you for a while, but I don't think I'm good enough yet, or I don't think right. I can afford it. Trust me, I know what my peers charge, and I know what I charge. You can afford it. And if you're a guitar player, you can't, you know, you need to afford it. You can't not afford it. And all levels, styles, you know, I'm open to, to teaching. Again, not big on polkas, but I even teach some country stuff, you know. Whatever you want to learn, finger style, playing with the pick. And I think that's a big thing. People who start playing with a pick uh, miss something that finger styles player know about how to touch the guitar, how to attack the guitar. And if that, if you play exclusively with a pick, you never learn how to really touch the guitar properly because the guitar shouldn't be moving up and down. You shouldn't be making the strings go like this. They should be always working like this, like a speaker. And, you know, but it's easy to think as we see people strumming. So the art of picking is making your in strokes when you, when you do a downstroke with a pick to make the string go towards the body. And likewise, when you play with an upstroke, does the string go towards the body? If you're making the strings go up and down, that's kind of like taking a bow. If you're trying to shoot an arrow and pulling the twine sideways, like this, you know what I'm saying? So starting with basic like physics things of how the guitar works all the way up to again, showing people very quickly how to play every chord under the sun in one lesson or improvise even over the sickest jazz changes in one lesson. And I think again, with there's a ton of teachers on YouTube and in your newsfeed, I see them every day. Like you're learning how to play guitar wrong. Or this, this, that, you know, there's all these guys that are offering, who do you take from? There's all these courses that you can uh, take from, and it's all great, but, you know, experience pays, right? And you get what you pay for. So hook, hook me, hook yourself up with a email to me at jeffyoungmusic at gmail.com, and I'll give you all the details, prices scheduling and we could get with the picking and grinning right all the deets as the kids would say we um we'll put all the links for everything he's talked about he'll send me the links we'll put it underneath the show so we can go check out everything and you have a show Sounds too splendid to me and your 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 radio show 
other than that yeah i'm thinking i've been doing the radio show for 11 years it's kind of on a hiatus here past few months because i've been so busy right with this new project and other stuff we got going and gigs uh that we've been doing around la the show's music without boundaries you can find 11 years worth of episodes every week a different theme at jeffyoungjams.com I've been thinking to take it on YouTube. People like to see, and I was thinking maybe do more of an interview-based show, which I've always done interviews. I've had everyone on my show from Pat Travers on his birthday to John Five, who met me opening when Megadeth was playing with Dio. He came backstage when he was 14, to Steve Harris's daughter, Lauren Harris, to the singer from Kansas, the current singer, Ronnie Platt, so many amazing musicians to Chris Holmes. I could just go down the list. Many of the Megadeth guys from Kiko to Lomenzo uh, have been guests on my show. I play every style of music from every era. So in one show, you could hear Django Reinhardt. You could hear Van Halen. You could hear Megadeth. You could hear some world music. You could hear some George Benson. You know, so... And it's all kind of sewn together with uh, either like musical tidbits or knowledge, but also like from song to song, I got big on finding clips from movies, whether they were educational or funny. You know, you're playing a, a, a little block of love songs, a great thing I always like to play. And I, other radio stations started copying me. And I wasn't too keen when I heard another station I uh, I took the bit from Anchorman, yeah. and Ron Burgundy says, do you really want to know what love is? And they go into the Starland vocal band, Afternoon Delight, and then you know I bust into the next song. And I heard some dude with a show in Salt Lake City doing my shtick on his show. I was like, why you, I ought to? But yeah, so, and again, showing how, regardless of the era, and the genre, you can see that music can work together. It doesn't always have to be this radio formatted classic rock here, smooth jazz there, your classical station here, your NPR station there. Let's mash it all up, right? And maybe that's not for everybody, but I had a pretty strong cult audience over the years. And I think there's a lot of people like me that like all those sty styles of music like you that don't that don't want to hear just one flavor yeah, all day, every day you know so that, that's jeffyoungjams.com i hope people go check out uh, the past episodes i'll be back i may do some new episodes i'm pondering that people are like tagging me like i miss music without boundaries and i'm feeling guilty but uh i think i might want to try like because i got some other eclectic friends like guys who are uh directors of photography of some of the biggest Hollywood movies, you know, I, like X-Men and Blade and some of the uh, true lies. One guy I went to high school with came out here and became one of the biggest DPs in Hollywood. I'd love to have him on the show. My other buddy just did, uh, was one of the producers, uh, cinematographers on the new uh, movie. It's you guys can catch it on reels. It's about the biggest concert fire tragedy in history, the Great White yep. 
tragedy. The movie is called uh, uh, oh, um, Guest List. The Guest List. And Dee Schneider's in it. You, you want to see it just to see Dee's. He's, he's quite the, a man. I've seen the previews uh, of it, and I didn't even... Quite a gentleman, D. Yeah, and I didn't realize even the backstory about that there was a guest list, and that's so powerful. It's even more haunting knowing about Did the guest list. Did you see it already? No, I've just seen the clips of it, and I don't know. I, I'm actually afraid it's, it's too good, and it might actually just bum yeah, me I'm out. I'm getting chills right now as you're talking about... We got to go to the premiere uh, the other night. It was The premiere was just a couple weeks ago, and it was a very... It was kind of in an office building, and they had these boutique screening rooms, and Luke invited Dine and me and Jack Russell was there and he, you know, I met him for the first time and he was really kind and the band and Eddie Trunk showed up and Dee Schneider was supposed to be there. He got lost and went to his, the new video that's out. Yeah. They filmed the next day. So when I think it's called stand, I'm not sure. I think that's the name of it. He went to the site where they were filming in Pasadena way like, that's an hour away from where we were or more in, in LA traffic. He calls, he's like, what? He was at where they needed to film the next day. So by the time he got to the screening, it was almost done. But by the time we turned around, he was there and he talked that night. And I think his, his attitude will surprise a lot of people. He's a really selfless, wants to do the right thing kind of a person. And he's got a big heart and it comes across in a big way in that movie. Like I never thought two thoughts about D Schneider until that night. Right. And now I've met him and I realized, you know, you realize people don't end up where he is or doing the kind of things that they do. Everyone who gets to where there, there's a reason that they got there and it may be lost on the public or the public may get a, a caricature or a cartoon version of that person. But I guarantee you watch that movie, the guest list, and you're going to see D Snyder for who he is. And I, I think he's a pretty cool cat. And that's all I got to say about that. So these kind of people I'd love to have come yep. on my show, people like Luke and musicians. And, and so you can check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. It's called music lives live because you know, who is it that said rock and roll's dead? What song was it? Was it Neil Young sang it or Gene Simmons said it or, you know, I don't believe it for a minute because of all the reasons that we talked about in this interview. If you bring different styles and elements, bits of genres together, new music is unending. And whether it's rock or any style, you can always... Rocky is Again, when Paco de la Cia, this is a great ending thing, started bringing jazz and other elements into flamenco, it was blasphemy. You know, because it's called flamenco proto, P-U-R-O, purists. You got to keep it pure. And there's people that believe that, and there's something to be said for that, you know. But look at how many amazing... Well, there's room for both it's kinds. like breeding snakes or dogs or something. You're coming up with all these new metamorphoses of music just by letting your, allowing yourself to think outside the box and not following the rules. And Eddie Van Halen always was one of the best at, at, at reminding us to break all the rules. You know, 
everything he did was about from the guitars he, he played loved, he loved how he very act his amp with a dimmer switch so he could turn it up and then damp it down to you know playing a guitar he he patented that when he put the guitar yeah. up like a table yeah there's a patent on that i mean think outside the box so what music's for and it's to take our mind outside the box you know that's what listeners are supposed to do not judge music just let yourself go with it when you have your artist i always say you have an artist you like find out who your artist likes the example we'll stick with eddie eddie loved jeff beck and alan holdsworth if you're not aware of those artists go there and then go from there go down that rabbit hole because there's so much a lot of people don't know the alan holdsworth album road games is on warner brothers records produced by ted templeman why you think that is who you think made that happen for alan Eddie told him to not wheedle, wheedle, wheedle so much, but that his, his legato, I don't think Alan listened, but I mean, and, but if you want to go back and listen to, you know, Alan was staying at Eddie's house a lot at that time. If you want to hear when they were really intertwined, listen, Alan Holsworth's road games. And then you listen to some of Eddie's solos on fair warning. I heard Holsworth creep into Eddie on uh, his solo on, and the cradle will rock. You can hear the Holsworthy vibe immediately when the song comes on solos like push comes to shove and dirty movies. You can, you can hear he's really in the Holsworth at that point. And I think that's right around the same time. uh, Not too far apart was fair warning and Alan Holsworth's road games. That's what we're going to end on. Everybody who doesn't know who he is. (laughs) You should check him out. Holsworth. Yeah. The other, the other world. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. Check him out. And that's that's a great thing. Everyone who doesn't know who he is, which is most everybody except guitar players, and why the poor man just, you know, he passed and his children have no, you know, he has nothing to leave them. I'm friends with his daughters on Facebook. They comment. We were private message. Sweet. He has two sweet. Uh, they're both married now and lovely girls and they love and miss their dad and it's artists like holsworth randy rhodes dimebag django reinhardt people in their lifetime mozart people did not appreciate these people in their lifetime until years after and years and decades and decades and decades after their passing let's i remember flea said something on letterman i think it's a great quote to leave people with you're not going to find the best music when he was on letterman he said on mtv there's no mtv anymore but you're not going to find it in the mainstream you're not going to be exposed to it via any of the hollywood marketing machine uh, sources you need to play sherlock holmes yourself or nancy drew yourself you need to go out and investigate and find these artists like alan holsworth or chris whitley or jeff young or Jennifer Jen, right? Or whoever that are doing music independently, right? And there's a lot of great music out there that people are just missing. And it's sad to, it's sad to see, you know, when, when an artist like Chris Whitley passes, you know, and you hear all the people in the industry who put him, he had his one major label album produced by the guy who did U2 Octung baby. And, uh, he was just too outside the box. The label couldn't handle him and that therefore the public missed, missed this brilliant 
singer songwriter you know the the mainstream gave you dylan cat couldn't even sing a note in key mainstream i mean but yeah, you never heard of chris whitley right or jeff buckley like how many people i mean of course he passed and his drowning was tragic and maybe people would know more of him now but these kind of artists everyone knows that song hallelujah now right that beautiful song because everyone's singing it on american idol right that's how the public knows it's so sad that they don't go back to leonard cohen's version or realize jeff buckley's version because if you know that song hallelujah and you haven't heard jeff buckley sing it and play it on guitar with that haunting production in the reverb on his guitar go listen to hallelujah and thank me later what 